Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi there, it's Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You may know me from my podcast called Wiser Than Me, where I talk to older women and get their wisdom from the front lines of life. I was amazed by how many people told me our show made them look forward to getting older, which is why I'm here to talk about season two of the show. Sally Field, Billie Jean King, Beverly Johnson, Ina Garten, Bonnie Ray, just to name a few. All hail old women. Wiser Than Me season two is out now from Lemonada Media. Is Rotten Tomatoes wrong about the remake of Mortal Kombat, the new one. I literally just watched the movie and I'm still processing it. And that's what today is going to be. It's going to be a bit of a therapy session where we all sort our feelings out. We emotionally unwind from this combat experience like no other. And as we do on every episode of Rotten Tomatoes is wrong, but particularly today, we're going to spoil the movie. So... Spoiler alert, we're talking about everything in the movie, so if you've not seen Mortal Kombat yet, go watch it! It's Mortal Kombat! And then come back and listen to the episode, or if you don't care about the movie, just listen to the sultry tones of my voice as I slowly help you drift into dreamland. So as of this recording, the tomato meter is 55%, which is fresh adjacent, but it technically is rotten on the tomato meter. However, the audience score is a sterling 87%. That will get you into most colleges that are not Ivy League. And because we're covering this movie so soon after its release, the score could change. So keep that in mind if you're listening to this episode a few months later or even a few days later. We have a great guest today. Producer Lucy is coming up in a sec, as is Tim Ryan. But right now, it is my honor to introduce my co-host, who I'm not saying I'm going to have to carry her today, but she has been through the ringer in the last 24 to 48 hours, and that, of course, is Oscars coverage extraordinaire, Jacqueline Coley. I was watching you on TV for most of the day on Sunday. You did an amazing job. You looked fantastic, and I imagine you are in dire need of a nap. You know, Mark, first of all, If anyone loves you as much as Mark Ellis loves me, hyping me up, I hope you all have that kind of love in your life. Because let me tell you, a girl could get a big head listening to you. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. If there's, we got a good tag team partnership going. Sometimes you lift Mm -hmm. me up. Sometimes I have lift you up. But today, the only thing keeping me buoyant is we're talking about one of my favorite video game franchises ever. And I will always be able to muster up energy for that. I I don't know if we were doing... um, some of the greatest hits of, let's say, Reese Witherspoon, I would be able to like jump up and down <laughs> to be like, let's go. No offense to Reese, but I can get gigged up for for Mortal Kombat and I'm ready to do it, sir. And here's where we do the switcheroo because today's episode is actually Sweet Home Alabama as we're no! talking Reese Witherspoon and Candace Bergen. And no, and no, we'll, we'll By the way, that is the Reese Witherspoon movie that I hate the most because I'm from Alabama and I'm just like, please, no. 
Oh. Well, then you and I <laughs> do not see eye to eye because I love that Josh Lucas has a dog that will fetch him beer in that, which is the goal of any dog owner. Molly, the wonder dog, some 14 years old now, still is not able to fetch me a Coors Light. And so instead of that, while I try to train her for a couple minutes, we're going to turn it over to Jacqueline Coley because she is a Mortal Kombat video game super fan. And now she has the honor of giving us the synopsis of what this new iteration of Mortal Kombat 2021 is all about. So the Mortal Kombat tournament starts off and this is basically we kick off in 17th century and we find out that there's a chosen one. Eventually we sort of cut to modern day times and we figure out that the chosen one is a descendant of this epic fight that opens things up. And basically we're setting up two teams, Team Outworld and Team Earthrealm. Team Earthrealm is set up by Raiden and Team Outworld is set up by Shang Tsung. Cole Young, who is sort of our avatar and protagonist, he is the person we're following through as he basically meets all of the different players from the Mortal Kombat tournament. And through these various little cutscenes where the characters are introduced, they talk about their association with Mortal Kombat. We find out what their abilities are, their abilities sort of heighten themselves, and then they become potentially Mortal Kombat tournament players. Raiden, a little bit reluctant, doesn't necessarily want to be the coach, but through the course of the events, he figures out that he has to be. We also figure out that Cole Young, although he just seems to be a regular AMA fighter, actually is meant to be a part of also the Earth Realm fighters because he is the descendant of the people that we saw in the original cutscene. We end the film, not with the actual tournament, however, but with the promise of a tournament, as at the end of the movie, after the big fight, some people live, some people die, we end up with Cole heading to Los Angeles to find Johnny Cage. Jacqueline, that was like an entire recap of the NCAA tournament. And that's what I was expecting going into this movie. Is that what we got? <laughs> well, we will talk about it, but that was a fantastic effort on your part. And yeah, it always confused me that like Raiden, he shoots lightning, but he's known as the God of Thunder. Same thing as Thor. They're known as the God of Thunder, but they tend to prefer lightning, it seems. And the Benjamin Franklin flying the key, hoping to get struck by lightning of our show is Producey Lucy. And we say hi to her now. Producey Lucy, you also watched Mortal Kombat over this past weekend. I did. I I think I, I'm still processing as well, as you mentioned. Um, my favorite part, one of my favorite parts was a line from Kano where uh, Sonya Blade tries to step into the like practice fight dirt circle and they're like, you can't, you don't have the insignia. And he's like, ha ha, fucking whoops. And it made me laugh so hard <laughs> and it made me love him so much. So yeah, there were parts I really liked about this movie. Excited to hear you guys talk about it. You know it's a good show when the producer drops the first F-bomb, so then that kind of opens the floodgates for us. We'll try to keep the language clean here, but you never know. You never know. We're talking about Mortal Kombat, and we get excited, and we are particularly pumped to have our special guest today. He's a tech and geek culture extraordinaire host, content, content creator covering the space for over 15 years and doing a great job of it at his YouTube channel, which is, you can just go to YouTube.com, which everybody knows YouTube, slash Brian Tong, and that's a very well-named channel because that actually is the name of our guest, coincidentally. Brian Tong is here. Brian, hello. I am so excited to have you join us today. I know that you are a Mortal Kombat video game super fan, just like I, uh, the co-host and myself are. So let's get right into this, Brian. Is Rotten Tomatoes currently sitting at 55% on the tomato meter? Is it right or is it wrong about Mortal Kombat 2021? 
Whew, that you know, that's a more complicated question than I thought it would be when you first asked it to me. I think that <laughs> if you are a movie critic in the critic sense, you're probably aligned with that 55. That might even be a little high for a movie critic. But if you are a fan of this genre, if you are a fan of Mortal Kombat, that 87 also sounds about right. So I think both camps actually got it right for me. I am conflicted a little bit because if it's Mortal Kombat, where's the tournament? Like, Jacqueline's feeling me on this. We're like, I need to see a tournament, but I get it. They're putting the pieces down. Quite honestly, I deliberately did not read any synopsis going into this. I wanted to go in cold, not knowing how they were going to present this, knowing the history of the 1995 movie. Um, so I was, there are times where I'm like, just stop, don't overthink this, just enjoy the ride. And there were times where I was like, <laughs> but then there were times where like, that was badass. So I think I felt like I was on a roller coaster when I was watching this movie personally. I feel like you've come to us on the right day then, Brian, because we're all just going to sort through these feelings <laughs> together. Let's go to Jacqueline. Jacqueline, Rotten Tomatoes, right or wrong with the 55% fresh adjacent, but nevertheless, rotten score. I'd say that it's pretty right. Um, I was like, I'll be the first to admit, I also went into Mortal Kombat cold, but for different reasons. I went into Mortal Kombat cold because you are much likely, more likely to get my attention if you were a country selection for last year's Academy Awards than you were for a Mortal Kombat film for the past two months, because that is all I've been able to live and breathe is, you know, another round and Yoquadis Eda and stuff like that. But great movies, by the way, if you all want to check those out. So I didn't know anything. I knew Louis Tan was in it. I knew that this was the director's first featured uh, uh, directorial debut, and it was a pretty large budget, which always gives me a little bit of pause. And I knew it was Mortal Kombat. That was kind of everything that I had going into it. Oh, and the Mackay Brooks look, look like Steve Harvey with a mustache. That's it. That's <laughs> okay, all I had. So, so but, Jax might be your next host of Family Feud. Girl, listen. And so I kind of like, yeah, Rotten Tomatoes is right. Uh, and the sense that like the film was enjoyable, it had moments, it felt off though. And the reason why I think it felt off is what Brian sort of spoke to, which is that I didn't know anything about it, but I did have tournament expectations. And this was just a great big tournament tease. And I will say this, I agree with what my assessment is. If you turn on a Mortal Kombat game and it is choose your fighter, this movie is that moment. It is the moment <laughs> at the beginning of the game. <laughs> <laughs> when you are trying to choose your fighter and so you just like pull Sonya up and you see what she does, you see which different outfits she has, you see what her abilities are. And that's all this movie was, was basically just making sure everyone knew who these players were um, and what they could do and maybe while they were together. And so, yeah, I'd say that it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's right-ish. In college basketball terms, this was not actually the NCAA tournament, which is better known as March Madness. These were the conference tournaments leading up to the actual tournament where we're just getting the seating done. Yeah. Nevertheless, I feel like Rotten Tomatoes is right and wrong about this at the same time for different reasons than what Brian said, because I like Brian's comparison between the tomato meter and audience score, and maybe the truth is in the middle somewhere. I feel like 55 is a fair number for the movie I just watched. However, Rotten Tomatoes, and I will say this again, even though we already did an episode on it, is certainly wrong about the 19 1995 Mortal Kombat movie, which I think is dropped. Now it's 44% on the tomato meter. And there is no way in my mind, I did enjoy watching this new movie. There's no way that this iteration is better than 
1995. I'm calling it a classic Mortal Kombat film. And so uh, while I don't think it's fair to necessarily look at this and say, oh, well, 95 did this, this, and this better, watching this actually made me appreciate what 1995 was able to pull off a little bit more. So we have a lot to dissect here. And the guy who always gets us kicked off with how the critics felt about the movie, whether it was a movie released 60 years ago or a movie that came out just this past weekend, is our own Tim Ryan. He's our review curation manager, and he is about to appear, well, at least his voice is, in our section, Two Minutes with Tim. Hit the symbols. Two Minutes with Tim. Thank you, Mark. It's still too soon to tell how this version of Mortal Kombat will ultimately land on the tomato meter, but as we're recording this, it's at 53% with 139 reviews. As it stands now, if that number holds, that will make it the fourth best reviewed video game adaptation of all time, just behind Sonic the Hedgehog and ahead of the 2018 Tomb Raider. Just for context and by comparison, the 1995 version is at 43% with 42 reviews, and it's got an audience score of 57%. So it's still one of the better reviewed video game adaptations of all time. And the reviews were kind of respectful given that video game movies had not fared terribly well with the critics up to that point. But today we're talking about the new Mortal Kombat. And what do the critics have to say? In a rotten review, Jake Cole of Slant Magazine writes, in spite of its occasionally engaging displays of gnarly brutality, the film too often feels like an adaptation of a player select screen. On the other hand, in a fresh review, Nell Minow of Movie Mom writes, We're here for the martial arts carnage and a few middle school level wisecracks, and that we get. The critics' consensus on Rotten Tomatoes reads, Largely for fans of the source material, but far from fatal... Fatality... Flawed... Mortal Kombat revives the franchise in appropriately violent fashion. So that's the new Mortal Kombat movie. And I just want to say that when you're discussing movies, don't get in fights, don't get in arguments. I think you should approach these things in the spirit of friendship. Back to you, Mark and Jacqueline. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, I think you're wrong, Tim. I appreciate what you did there. And might I add that your two minutes with Tim segment is... Toasty! Yeah, we had a lot of references to the classic video game, and we got a lot more characters from the lineage and the mythology of the game than we did in 1995, simply because there's been a lot more Mortal Kombat movies made since 95. So let's get right into the movie talk. We're going to dissect how it compares to the original, whether we actually needed that tournament feel, and a whole lot more. So, Christian, let's just play some more music. Okay, for our folks who are just listening to the podcast, first of all, we appreciate it and your rate review and all that stuff. If you're watching us, you probably saw Brian and his violent head nodding in approval when I was talking about the greatness of the 1995 flick. So, Brian, in your mind, let's start there. How does 2021's Mortal Kombat compare to you to the original 95 version? You know, I really like the tone of the 95 because we also remember, right, this is, what, 20 years ago? So Mortal Kombat, the actual video game, is known to be campy, right? That's part of the culture of the game. 95 definitely leaned into some of that camp, um, whether it was visually some of the gags, even, you know, throwing out the catchphrases, but it it worked, right? And when you fast forward to the 2021, it feels like it's more inspired by Mortal Kombat's um, storytelling and, line and lineage, but not really leaning into one of the things that really makes it Mortal Kombat, the fact that you're playing with violence and a little bit of camp. Um, I also think really the 95 movie, the acting 
was just better. There's a lot more depth. I mean, you have Shang Tsung, you know, Kerry Hiroyuki, Tagawa. His his representation of Shang Tsung is so good that they even brought his likeness to the 20, um, the most recent Mortal Kombat 11 video game. And so that voice, that depth, that the evilness in him and his performance actually kind of was the the thing that solidified that movie. I'm not hating on Chin Han's performance of Shang Tsung in this one, but it just didn't have the same gravitas. And I think when Shang Tsung is your big bad and he's kind of one of the big p- players on the board that is setting up all, you know, everything, it, it, it takes away from kind of the, the epic scale of the movie. So those are kind of the two things that really stuck out for me when I compare 95 to 2021. But I did love how 2021 from the violence aspect stayed really true to the game. Um, I'm talking about specific fatalities that the fans, I was like, oh my God. And that that's they should be serving the, that group too. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Yeah, and some of the settings that we got to see in this new movie when they just they, they vault us into the pit all of a sudden. We're like, oh, my God, this is going to be great. And then the movie ends pretty much. But in, in 95, Jacqueline, I feel like what this movie, the, the new one does, is it makes me appreciate that 95 was so able to hit that tone that Brian was talking about where there is going to be campiness and there there are going to be some jokes. And Christopher Lambert is, as Raiden, uh, definitely not the most culturally appropriate casting I've ever seen, but he certainly has had fun but he knew when to be serious as did his counterpart Shang Tsung and it was just one of those things where I feel like that hit the more consistent tone and maybe we took that for granted because it's a tough one to hit and I feel like this new one had some great moments of comedy particularly with Kano but then it would veer into being so ultra serious that it almost felt like it was dragging yeah um I'll just go ahead and say it this is what's interesting. Did I played Mortal Kombat 10, which there I believe was the first reboot that they did after a long pause with Mortal Kombat. Like they were doing like like going to different realms and they were really like not doing the old school tournament. Then Mortal Kombat 10 came out and they went just straight old school. You, me, fight. You know what I mean? Like it was really it felt like a throwback. This film felt more like an adaptation of that new storyline than it did of the old school franchises. So I think that, and that was serious, more serious. The blood codes got way more um, elaborate. The fatalities got way more elaborate. And so if we separate the two in that, they're almost adapting different video games. And I think that's the way it is. And if you know anything about the director, Simon McCoy, and I know a lot, thanks to Mark Hoffmeyer, 
I think that that is the reason why there is that disconnect between the original and this this newer version. And and if because I played that one more recently than the old school ones, and that's more what it felt like. And the characters who are elevated are different. Johnny Cage is not as elevated in these new newer ones. Some of these other folks that we're going to meet later. But um, yeah, I think um, they were not trying to get away from the camp entirely. They just didn't need it to be the whole movie. They centered it in on specific characters, which is exactly what the video game did. Because Mortal Kombat 10 had this guy called like the Drunken Master who was literally like a drunken video game character. Bill Wright Show, baby. Yes. And <laughs> he so farted, like- he burped, he threw up, he did it all. Thank you. Oh, I love Brian here, who's going to help my my brain that is awards addled remember the names of these folks. And yeah, it's so that I think is where that disconnect is. And so I won't even fault them on that. It's great to hear that my uh, road comedian behavior has finally been immortalized in a video game. That <laughs> is very exciting. And sort of what Jacqueline's talking about here, Brian, is is that feel of the two movies is so divergent in large part because we don't have that tournament setting for the bulk of this movie. I, I mean, I actually said that between Godzilla versus Kong and now this new Mortal Kombat movie, I didn't necessarily need any humans to have lines or dialogue. I just wanted two or three announcers to be on the sidelines and just guiding us through the action like it is an actual sporting event because this it was such an easy tournament to follow in the original, and here we are getting deeper, getting into the storyline. So it, I guess my question for you is, where does your appreciation for them getting deeper into the lineage of Mortal Kombat and trying to get involved in these backstories versus just having that cool tournament look? Was it too much to try to cram all of that into one movie? Well, you know, the fact that we talk about how this is kind of like a character select first step of the movie. If I look at it that way, I think they did do a good job trying to at least develop some of these key character components. Now, you know, when you talk about from a tournament standpoint, losing losing that it makes the focus of the movie it makes the entire tone and the feel of the movie different the stakes just aren't as high right we're just establishing a group of individuals trying to figure out what their kana is what their power is versus some bad guys that are saying we're going to stop you from that versus this is the battle for the entire future of earth realm those are completely different stakes so i think that is part of it i do want to go back real quickly when we talk about even comparing the tone today and the past, we, we should even just talk about comparing the tone of this movie to the actual video games because Mortal Kombat has an amazing, incredible story mode that everyone that follows the fighting game genre understands its depth, its breadth. And I'll, I'll be honest with you, I feel like the voice performances, I'm not even talking about the motion capture, the voice performances from the games were better than the performances of the actors in this movie. And I know they're just getting started. They're probably feeling out their characters as well. Um, But that I think as someone who's like, oh my God, the story of the game is so incredible. When the movie can't get even close enough to that, you you do feel like you're missing something as well. I have a question question real quick for Brian, since he brought that up. Do you feel that that is partially because Simon came from commercial work and like how much directing actors through that process. Also, a lot of these folks are well known for physical performances mm-hmm. like Louis Tan. Um, his father was a martial art, uh, martial artist. And although he's been in things and he's definitely been acting, he hasn't had to hold a whole movie like this and not taking anything away from him. I don't think that he did a horrible job, but I just wonder under the 
maybe under the direction of someone like James Wan, who really does know how to do those big action things and also get moving performances if it wouldn't have been as limited. I don't know. I'm just curious what your opinion is. No, I, I 100, 100% agree with you because, you know, for, for, like you said, the background of Simon definitely dictates how, how deep we dig into. You look at the fight sequences, which are fun and imaginative, and we hit a lot of settings. You could have taken each of those fight sequences, spliced up maybe 10 seconds of those, smashed them together, and it would be the ultimate trailer TV commercial, right? I mean, <sighs> the commercial trailers for this were off awesome. the hook. Yeah. Like, And so the movie, knowing that we as movie watchers, we do understand there will be down times, there will be beats for character development, but I just don't feel like it hit those hard enough. And, you know, story does matter. I mean, even to Mortal Kombat fans, story actually matters. It's the most story-rich fighting game from a gamer's perspective that we have. So I do 100% agree with you. And I'm not here to criticize the actors because God knows I'm not going to do as good as they are. But I did feel it was missing a little more depth. And, you know, I'm I'm looking forward to what they do next in this kind of, I don't know if it's a trilogy, but series, because clearly they, they just gave us a softball to go for the next one. It's a fair point you bring up because in terms of the trailer, because expectations are attached to movies now, especially when they have such a line from Mortal Kombat all the way back to the early 90s with the debut of the video game. And I feel like the trailers for this were setting us up for just another tournament. And we got so much more. But the struggle of video game movies in general, you can look at games that have these gigantic through stories like a Resident Evil or a Silent Hill, the challenge has been to cram all of that into a 90-minute to two-hour movie. Now, Resident Evil's had the benefit of having six movies to tell some story in terms of following Alice around. But here, I it, the problem wasn't that they were telling backstories to me. It was that I just didn't necessarily care about them. I don't think that was all just me being a fanboy waiting for the tournament. I just I thought Louis Tan was great as the lead. I didn't buy into that family dynamic at all. And I think a lot of the Sonya backstory and even the Kano backstory, I, I loved watching Kano. He might have been my favorite character in the whole movie, but I didn't need any of that backstory. And I feel like we could have just gotten to Raiden's temple relatively as quick as we did getting to Outworld in the first movie, because the first movie really just opens up and we're pretty much getting on a boat right away. Yeah, I even, agree. You know, just to jump in real quick, even the first movie, we don't part of the charm of the movie is these characters that go right to the tournament on that boat. They kind of develop their chemistry during that time. So the interaction between the fighters and that chemistry there was actually kind of more important than learning about their backstory because we already know their backstory from the video games. We know about these people. We know where they come from. So I think even the chemistry between the actors just just wasn't as developed as well because they were kind of separate. Be, maybe the point of that is that they think that it'll look this is a this is a a, a, a movie that's setting up something else. And we'll get to this in movie talk, but I'm not going to say that that's a bad thing if the payoff is worth it. Yes, if it, and And I think they knew they were playing with house money, which they are, because if things were normal, I would have been at the, I would have been at the Alamo Draft House watching this. I would have been in an Alamo Draft House movie marathon. I wouldn't have skipped Annihilation and I would have went boom, boom, boom. <laughs> Yeah, let's let's get into some of that that movie talk Jacqueline's referring to where for this movie, I want to talk about the fight scenes. I want to see Brian, let's start with you. What was the coolest fight scene to you? What was the scene that you're like, that is why I either bought a ticket to this or that's why I am watching it on streaming time and time again, because I want to see more of that. Honestly, I think the first fight was the best fight between Hanzo and Bihan because it, it involved a lot of choreography 
the spear was off the chain. Mm-hmm. We saw, we saw, you know, or the shovel, you know, the tool that his wife was using. Um, Do I not love... come to that house, start in trouble. Come on, seriously, <laughs> come though. on, like gar- that. That take gar- That takes gardening to another level, right? <laughs> but um, that that whole sequence got me really juiced. So in a way, I think that kind of set my expectations that we're gonna see even more grandiose fights choreographed so eloquently like that i mean as a fan you got to love to see sub-zero and scorpion fight face off when scorpion comes back from hell to defend um cole's family uh that first fight though i would argue is the best the one that just made me laugh a ton was when kung kung lao was was arguably kind of one of the most exciting characters of this movie he came in as a badass he had presence he had gravitas and i know he he went but yeah. the way his fight he went out ended, as he loved, he went out exactly. as he loved. <laughs> and the fact that they replicated one of his iconic fatalities with his hat as the saw on Natara, yes. who is like a va- vampire character. And when I saw her, I'm like, oh, she's such a minor character. She's dead. Like I knew she dead, like right when she showed up. But that was that was like, whoo, that, that might have been like one of those the the moment of those of all those fights. So those is what stuck out. I know you told me to pick one, but. It's too hard to pick one in, the, in a movie like this. It is. And and I, I agree. I co-signed with a lot of your fights there. And I would add when it, Kung Lao really makes the most of his screen time because the other scene I really loved with Kung Lao is when he's sort of baiting Kano into just getting angrier and angrier and tapping into that Sith energy that he has. And then his <laughs> eye explodes. Seeing the powers realize themselves, whether it's that scene or it's when Cole was fighting Goro, I really felt connected to that. I was excited about it. Not personally connected. I'm still waiting for my powers to manifest. And they're clearly not going to be in basketball, I don't think. And I'm looking at this and I'm saying, okay, well, we also could have just stacked that much closer to the beginning and gotten us in here. But again, this movie wanted to take its time setting these characters up for possible future missions. My favorite fight, though, Jacqueline, ironically is the one where Cole loses at the beginning and mm. he's competing in MMA and these like cool underground fights that were the the central point of virtually every martial arts movie in the 80s and 90s where it's just a bunch of people probably illegal they're waving money around and it's just fight fun club. to watch two guys go a little at blood it. sport yeah, yeah yeah fight club before fight club but mm-hmm. with less you know weird sociopolitical uh, implications and ideas but no listen <laughs> I think we've all touched on this and we didn't touch on favorite, but like MVP of the film to me is Kano. Like he showed up when he needed to and gave me great energy. I always didn't like the way he kind of went down. He, he's a brute, but he should be more like what um, Jai Courtney did with Captain Boomerang in Suicide Squad, a movie that I thought was going to have problems because of Jai Courtney and he ended up being one of the better parts. They brought that energy to Kano and I loved it. It's like, yeah, he's brash and brute, but there's like, you know, in Suicide Squad, it's like, but he's got his My Little Pony and his thing. And then with Kano, it's like, I'm a mellow now. I'm not going to do what you guys ask. Like, I'm not going to be what you want me to be. And he's cracking jokes. And yeah, no, that fight, though, um, I guess it's uh, the, the reptile slash before it was the reptile thing. Like, I, I want to say it's reptile, but it wasn't just that. Right. It, like became like the flying buzz reptile, too, which I didn't see those video game aspects prior to this movie. So that's why I was a little bit confused until it finally became like a lizard. And I was like, creative okay, I, freedom. I, I mean, freedom, license say. was taken. Um, <laughs> that scene was great. Watching him hit that 
like a like it was like a like Luke with his visor and thing, like trying to get it like that. That was actually kind of my favorite bit of fun. And even though it was maybe not the most in-depth fight, I liked that it had so much comedy and strangeness and everyone being like, is this thing dead? Is it dead? Is it it's not dead? <laughs> It's it. weird that, that Kano was so high on my character list as well, because I feel like his arc was appropriate for who that person is. Because, I mean, he comes on and we're enjoying him because he is just such a burst of energy, even if it's racist and sexist half the time. It's still he, he's delivering lines and he brings a lot of that spirit of the first Mortal Kombat movie. And I hate to keep comparing the films, but he brought a sense of humor that was sorely lacking in other parts of this movie that I thought was necessary. Yet, Brian, I still like that he ended up going to the proverbial dark side because a guy like that, I really thought that we were setting him up to be this guy who, like Boomerang in Suicide Squad, it does have a soft side, and we can tap into that and bring out the good in him. But as soon as you put someone like that, and we all have that friend, that if they discovered they could shoot lasers from their eye, they're not suddenly going to be building libraries and hospitals for kids. They're going to be doing bad things with that. Yeah, I mean, to your point, Kano's switch or flip was important for us to see that this Kano is still the true Kano that we know, right? Sure. I mean, that that solidified his place. And, you know, he lasted in the first movie. In this one, he also lasted in one movie. So that's also appropriate. <laughs> He's out of there pretty quick. Who was y'all's favorite character? Jacqueline, you said, I think you're leaning towards Kano. I mean, I think we all are, just based on the earlier, like, T's conversation. I think all of us are basically like Kano is the man. And in fact, I'm going to go ahead and shout him out. This is the man who made uh, the new Are You Afraid of the Dark reboot? So he knows a little thing about it. Uh, ben David Grabinski tweeted mm -hmm. out earlier this morning basically the same thing because on top of that, the dude had the pop culture references, you know? Like he knows he's in a movie. And so he's got the he's got the one-liners and that's what you need. You need that character. He's like Michael Pena and Ant-Man. Uh, you know, he was like just, Tony Stark sometimes. He's just yeah, he's calling people yeah. Gandalf and Harry Potter and just yes. like those off the cuff sort of <laughs> improvised feeling lines that, again, just add some sort of levity to all of the seriousness. And eventually the seriousness would just give way to some some mopiness to me. And so I'm mm -hmm. glad that we had a character like that mm -hmm. to to put some some life into this yeah. movie. Uh, Brian, I, I still, do you co-sign Kano? Yeah. I co-signed Kano, but I really think Kung Lao did for his role did a really damn good job. Don't mm -hmm. disagree. Something about, you know, even when he showed up, he he had a sense of respect and power. And quite honestly, Kung Lao in the video games, he is a top tier character. And I think they did him right. I'm bummed he went out the way he did go out because I felt like, damn, that was he his acting and his role. I felt like he was the type of player that could have lasted through the series. So I'm kind of actually bummed he will not extend his time through the franchise because I thought he was really that good. I did actually like Liu Kang's role as well. I thought Liu Kang was really fierce and he he really met that balance of, you know, inner peace, but strength. Um, so I thought I thought those two, the Shaolin monks were my two favorite, arguably might have been my two favorite that felt more accurate. Unfortunately, Sonya Blade didn't give me enough. Sonya, Sonya Blade's a badass in Mortal Kombat. She... She she wasn't badass enough, quite honestly. Mm, 
This is where we're going to disagree about you. Hey, it's okay. Girl. We're supposed to disagree. <laughs> I mean, that blonde girl has never been my character. I don't like her staff shtick. I just have not been able to ever get behind Sonya Blade. It's not just because she's I wasn't blonde. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought we were. I thought you were saying you liked her. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not standing Sonya. Oh, okay. Okay, you're not good. Okay, I thought yeah, I'm you saying said. she did not do good. I'm saying oh. no. No, but I, I mean would the stand character. Sonya in in the '95 one. I would I say don't because ever that's because what I'm she she taught Billy Madison the year before, and then she immediately <laughs> is beating wow. up Kano. Richard Wilson, shout out. And yes. they did bring back her being able to defeat Kano again in this movie. So I did like that. And I thought they had a cool fight too. Yeah. Anytime a fight ends with a guy getting stabbed in his like laser eye with a garden gnome, you mm. gotta <laughs> just say that is some pretty resourceful fight utility utilization there. I mean, that, that, was, that was really <laughs> impressive. So I'll give Sony some points for that. Okay, I should be really clear. No, I mean the character, period. Like, I've never been about the character. I was not about the adaptation. I was the girl who I would put all of my quarters up um, at the Tilt uh, video game arcade so that I could eventually play the dude who was going to kick my butt. And for the first four times, I played the girl because I was like, see, I may be the only girl in line, but I can do this. And then she was just a weak sauce character. I realized it was so much easier to play. with Raiden or, you know, Liu Kang or, you know, basically any of the other characters or when we got to later, when we got Melina and Katana, them heifers knew how to fight. Sorry. Mm. Melina is... You don't need to say sorry. Yeah, I'm like, Melina and Katana, those are my girls. Sonya... You know what it is? Sonya Blade Beautiful gowns, beautiful hair, beautiful shorts, sweetie. Lovely shorts. (laughs) She got got the booty shorts on. Sonya Blade became a badass more quite honestly, in the reboot when they did Mortal Kombat, Mortal Kombat 10 and 11, that's where I felt like I actually started caring about her in the game world. I, I will so agree I'm with you I'm with you. I'm with you. I will you. agree with you on that. I'm literally thinking back to the days of how many times yeah. I just watched her die with that like awful woman cry they gave her. Ah! <laughs> <laughs> ah! She oh, always right. died like that. I forgot about that. And I was like, that. really? Why y'all doing that? I just always, even as like a, a 10 year old or whatever, playing the original Mortal Kombat, I just always felt weird like making that amount of blood gush from a female. I, I didn't, I, I was like, there, there's something wrong here. But the, the yeah. blood itself is a is a conversation piece of this movie because any of those parents from the early 90s who are writing angry letters to Sega Genesis, wait until they see this movie because man, did they lean into the signature of Mortal Kombat. One of the many reasons why that game, when it, it was introduced, was a cultural touchstone is because there is just blood and gore for Miles. And just when you think you've seen enough, like you said, Brian, we got a hat sawing someone literally in half. The fatalities... We're pretty sweet, I gotta say. These, these fatalities, I these were all true to the game. Uh, Jack's smashing a homeboy Reiko's head with his hands, <laughs> and it would and it looked as bad. Like here's the weird part: people that are used to the games, like I celebrate it, but man, my mama she would have freaked out. Mm-hmm. My girlfriend she watched the first ten minutes, like I can't watch this movie. Mortal Kombat gamers are like, oh, yeah, that's exactly how, you know, it is in the game. And so I think it really served its purpose and hit all the notes to fan service. I don't think any single fan will say, oh, that fatality didn't actually get it right. It's actually sawing this this quadrant of uh, Natara's head, not that. No, <laughs> everything was on point. The, the, the Liu Kang dragon? Mm. I mean, that that's evolved over time. So 
you will not be disappointed by the blood, but also it was accurate to the gamers. I think that was one of those few things, not few things, but one of those things that they really, the they hit the nail on the head when they did these fatalities. They knew what the fans were used to and wanted to see. Yeah. And yeah, now the fans, it, it would appear that this movie does well at the box office, but even that is still cloudy because of the day and age where we currently live. And hopefully by the time a sequel would come out, we're out of this. We are excited about a sequel. What did this movie do? Because it's setting up a sequel, but now we have a different set of expectations having seen the movie. So Jacqueline, after having experienced the movie, are you excited for a sequel? Do you feel like this had its shot and it missed the mark to the point where you're kind of bailing? Basically, the reason why I want to word this correctly is because I don't want to reward this behavior. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to reward this behavior. I don't want to reward it. I don't want to say to theater companies like Warner Brothers, oh, you can keep playing this scam with us because you own great IP where you know we're going to show up because it's a lizard fighting a giant monkey. And you know that it's Rock'em Sock'em, you know, outworld tournament. You know we're going to show up. And so you give us a lackluster effort for the other effort. I don't like that. But it worked. So all I will say is I hope that if this doesn't work, they learn their lesson. They could learn their lesson. And, and I will get this one but if two it ways, does, Brian. They're going to keep doing this. That's it. We, if it does, we, they're going to keep doing it. And it's going to be awful. Star Wars prequels are an interesting comparison here, Brian, because The Phantom Menace, it, it was like, OK, well, I'm excited for the next one because I feel like we can get these characters more settled into their roles, the ones that are returning, versus something like The Maze Runner, which is not a terrible movie, but the entire two Maze Runner films were just basically like, hey, make sure you come back again. And I didn't necessarily, I, I knew that there was going to be some sort of teases for what the next movie would be, because it's Mortal Kombat, and they're not just here for one movie. But at the same time, I do feel like I could have read a lot of this in a pamphlet, and then just gone to see the actual tournament proper. You know, I think one of the things that sticks out for me is, look, we have, I don't want to compare everything to Marvel's, but I am going to use this as an example. Marvel has this rich history of comic book lore that people know and follow. Marvel doesn't pull punches with their movie. They take inspiration from those comics. They take us in new directions. They give us new twists. They they actually develop these characters more from an MCU perspective. Mortal Kombat could have done the same thing where we have a foundation of knowledge. They could have taken us through the tournament. They could have taken these characters in new directions. I mean, the new thing is really setting up Cole Young as a new, new character in this Mortal Kombat world. But just like Jacqueline said, this was a freaking setup movie. This was not... This was not a movie that rewarded me for putting down money to go to. I would have had a damn good time if there was an audience screaming, hooting and hollering. But when I left, I would have been like, wait, we didn't even get to like phase one of where this movie should have gone and even could have gone another direction. Johnny Cage is one of my favorite characters from day one that that it was even made me go like, oh, OK, you guys are gonna make me come back to, to watch Johnny Cage because he's my favorite character. That does work. But I'm actually mad and frustrated about how they teased us this entire movie just to get to, oh, the tournament's coming soon. I don't like that. I think they, they, they're lean, they're resting on their laurels, knowing that people like me and Jacqueline and everyone that loves Mortal Kombat is going to at least watch this first one. But if I really cared and wanted to send them a message, I wouldn't go to the second one. 
quite honestly. Thank you. That's exactly what it is. It's like, I don't want to say that this is wrong because it worked. Like, it's like I was manipulated into being like, well, giddy up for number two. Also, your Johnny Cage reminded me another reason why I think they're adapting the second reboot series is because Johnny Cage's like, I'm going to kill you and send you an autograph. He became a <laughs> badass in that second iteration, way more in my personal opinion than he did in the first uh, Yep. Theory. Like in the first theory, it was all about Raiden for me. Raiden was the man. As soon as you could unlock that character, life was good. <laughs> Forget it. So I mean, who who did anybody else think that? Like I was like playing. Oh, no, with- you're on point. You're on point. Um, Johnny Cage was a pretty boy. He became a badass, corny in your face. I'm gonna shit talk you and do it while being classless and cheesy. Yeah. Once he kind of got rebooted, they amped him up. Yeah. Yeah. He leaned into that sort of wrestler heel kind of lifestyle because I never really cared about Johnny Cage. And I appreciated the role that he served in the first movie because he was the comic relief. And we didn't necessarily expect him to be the one facing Shang Tsung at the end of the movie. He got a nice lucky groin punch on Goro and ended up winning. But um, (laughs) I, I think that Johnny Cage was the Cinderella story of that first tournament as opposed to one of the favorites. And so leaning on him to bring us back, it's a conundrum. It's a conundrum for a filmmaker. Like what Brian referenced is you have a hardcore base of fans that you want to please, but in pleasing them, did you just spoon feed them what they already knew? Because the hardcore fans are going to know some of these backstories already, and they're going to be so familiar with the characters. They don't necessarily need to go through it again. They just want to see the payoff. Hopefully we get a payoff with the next movie and hopefully everybody settles into their roles a little bit more and Raiden and Shang Tsung can continue to sort of cheat life and death so we can have our favorite characters proper compete the way they should. And so this is definitely not the last time we'll be talking about a Mortal Kombat movie on this podcast. And luckily, this movie was at least a lot better than Mortal Kombat Annihilation. So... Let's go to the behind the scenes. We have a couple different things we're going to be doing today. Christian, do we have some music for that? So for behind the scenes this week, uh, Producer Lucy and I thought we'd throw some curveballs at y'all. And I have trivia questions. I have many trivia questions about Mortal Kombat. And I would like to see how well-versed Brian and Jacqueline are in answering them. I occasionally like to ask movie trivia questions from time to time. And I will bring that back right now. This one is tough. And some of these are really, really tough. So prepare yourself, okay? Brian, the character in Mortal Kombat, this version, who also played the Black Power Ranger in the Power Rangers reboot, what character did that actor play in this Mortal Kombat movie? Wait, wait, in this Mortal Kombat movie? Yeah. And he played the Black Ranger in Power Rangers? That's that's what I'm told, yeah. Like the original Black Power Ranger. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I see him at every Comic-Con. Is that the every re- Comic-Con? The, the reboot. Guy? The Power Rangers reboot. Oh, oh, okay. Okay, let me think how many black folks I saw in this movie. I don't think it's a black person. It is not a black person? Like- no. So that no. is the one thing I will tell you, and I only know this, from Andre the Black Nerd, because I asked him who is the black, because he was up about the Power Ranger movie. The black dude is Mm -hmm. the blue one in the new one. And I was like, well, who's the brother they got to play the Black Ranger? He's like, nah, they switched it up. Asian girl ain't yellow, black dude ain't black. They learned their lesson. And so the black dude is blue, I think. Okay. okay. Well, I don't know this then. I, I'm, 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 I don't got this. Jacqueline, do you want to wager a guess? No, I'm. I get a uh, ten points for knowing that. Honestly, yeah, and that was I just agree. because Ruth Andre. Does this told help? Me. Does this help, guys? He's the hottest character. 
Lewis? Colt, what? Oh, they both <laughs> went Lewis Tan, and that is but not for me. correct. <laughs> Lucy, trying to be the lifeline, <laughs> fell prey to her own feminine wiles. Yeah. <laughs> and the answer we're looking for was Liu Kang. Ludi Lin. Oh, real? Ludi really? Lin. The black I love Ludi Lin. Ludi! 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 The next question about this film happens to be budget. Let's talk dollars and cents. I'm going to give you all an over-under, and you tell me, is the actual budget number for this Mortal Kombat over or under $99 million? Is it over or under? Brian I'm, I'm going to say it's over, just purely on uh, visual effects. I'm going to, the salaries of the, salaries of the uh, actors may not, but visual effects, I'm going to say over 99. Yeah, the visual effects were very impressive in the movie. I will say that. Jacqueline, you going with Brian? You going over? You going under $99 million? I'm going to go under. But I will add, I would have still guessed this if not for the fact that Mark, Mark Hoffmeyer actually gave us the budget in the research. So in future, Mark, if you're doing trivia questions, that, make sure they're not staring me in the face. Fair. But I would have done it anyway you. because Fine. looking I'll at that, that cast, love them, but none of them are getting a big check. This is not uh, Julia Roberts' $20 million movie, people. Love y'all, everybody I involved, but they're not a, they're not seen. a... Julia yeah. Roberts as the wife of of Lewis Tan for no reason in this movie that would have been great. Uh, Jacqueline is right though. Unfortunately, that's ninety five million dollars was the was the total budget. Come so on. so let's pivot to another one here that Jacqueline does not know the answer to. At least I don't think because she was very busy this past weekend. Mortal Kombat was number one at the domestic box office. It was hauling in twenty three million dollars. Do you know what film it narrowly beat? This film that came in at number two made $21 million. It's a strange day for movie and theaters and box office reporting. Do you Your want me is to? It, this I is will an, tell you. This is an anime movie. Do you have yeah. box know office this? mojo know up? This? No, but again, next time with the trivia like question. If you ask me. No, it's on Googling the research. Exactly. It's on the research. Okay, let's go to Brian then. And 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 this is how we do schmodowns virtually is we make the competitors keep their hands up so we can ch tell that they're not Googling. Um, Brian, do you... I trust Brian. Jacqueline, I'm not so sure about anymore. Uh, Brian, do you have a guess as to which anime film was number two at the box office this past weekend? I have a great guess. Um, I didn't use the show notes, but <laughs> I used the power and strength of our producer... Producey Lucy, mm -hmm. it is Demon Slayer. Wow. Yeah. I was throwing curveballs already. Now I'm going straight spitballs. Here we go. Monday, April 26th, the Monday after Mortal Kombat came out, our dear friend Louis Tan uh, got a tweet from a very famous hip-hop artist complimenting him on his work. Who was the hip-hop artist? Now, I've not been on Twitter, but I okay. would just guess, I hope it's somebody from the Wu-Tang Clan. Ooh, that that's a good guess. Is Ooh, the RZA? Incorrect. Okay, that's a great that's a great guess, Jacqueline. It is a great guess, and RZA would have been the RZA would have been the lead the RZA, dog in the that guess. And the Wu -Tang Clan. Yeah. So you said hip hop artists reached out and tweeted yes. Cole Young, and I will say she reached can, can, out. Oh, she yes. Cardi B, or it's either Cardi B or Megan Thee Stallion. Brian Tong is correct. With Cardi. Was that right? Was she Thurston? Oh! Wait a minute. Was she Thurston in the tweet? Oh, come on, son. I don't I don't want to lean into her. It was private. 
It was. Oh. We don't know. So, Wait, it was private, Lucy. Oh, she DM'd yeah. him. She DM'd I, him. I, I oh. think so. He oh. said his he said his like third grade teacher and Cardi B messaged him. So I don't know if it's private or public, but I'm assuming private. <laughs> mean. Oh, he Anytime. tweeted it. Yeah. Thank you. So many messages from Cardi B to my third grade teacher. <laughs> Nifty. I didn't, I didn't use Twitter to know that. I just guessed, but I, I was leaning actually towards Megan the Stallion because she did a promo recently. Mm. Um, she played Mortal Kombat growing up. She actually dressed up as Mortal Kombat uh, as a Molina for a live stream. So I was leaning Megan the Stallion, but I, for some reason I just felt like eh, it's got to be Cardi B. She there is a like chance that. both artists reached out to Lewis, but Probably, Cardi B was yeah. the headline to me. Okay, so two questions remain, and then I will be done torturing Jacqueline. Your two <laughs> questions, I need you all to sort out the order of these four franchises. Okay, we're going to start in the world of video game film adaptations. According to their franchise tomato meter average, which of these four franchises is ranked the highest as far as the tomato meter goes? Is it Resident Evil? Is it Tomb Raider? Is it Street Fighter? Or is it Mortal Kombat? It's been three Tomb Raider movies, six Resident Evils, now three Mortal Kombats, and two Street Fighters. Jacqueline has a guess. Answer. I, okay. I know the answer. Okay. You know no. I know no, so I'll let you guess first, Brian. Well, my guess would have to be Resident Evil because it's six movies. It is but six that could be wrong. movies. And then unfortunately for Resident Evil, that could mean one of those movies, not that great, and it takes it down on the tomato meter average. Jacqueline, your guess, because you think you know know it. Tomb Raider. Tomb Said Raider. It. I'm right. Is I'm right. at the top 32%. Tomato meter average. Just 32%. Resident Evil is second, Brian. 28%. Mortal Kombat still competitive with 25%. And most of that is thanks to Annihilation being Annihilation. 2%. Yeah. Annihilated that score. It is, Wait, Annihilation, Annihilation got a 2%? Yeah. It is 2% Street Fighter. <laughs> the Legend of Chun-Li makes itself look like Citizen Kane in comparison to Annihilation, even though The Legend of Chun-Li is only 5%, and the original Street Fighter is 10%. So... Yeah. Here we go with your final question. And this is about the video games themselves. Those same four franchises, Tomb Raider, Resident Evil, Mortal Kombat, and Street Fighter, which video game property has sold the most copies since its release? What are the names? Tomb Raider, Resident Evil, Mortal Kombat, and Street Fighter. And we're talking about, you said video game copies? Or video game copies? copies across all platforms, oh, okay. all iterations okay. combined. I, I, I'm, I could be wrong, but I think I'm, I don't know. I'm going to say it. I think it's actually Mortal Kombat. I, I agree. I think the past years um, that they've been on the market, they've always been like the top selling video game period. Uh, not even in genre, but every video game out there uh, for multiple years. So I'm going to say Mortal Kombat. I'd say that too, with a caveat that the maybe Resident Evil would beat them just on number, but Your I don't lifespan. Think, yeah, but I'm these go numbers are astounding because Mortal Kombat has sold 54 million copies of its game since 1992 when it was released. Street Fighter only 45 million copies since all the way back in 1987. However, yeah. Tomb Raider. 81 million copies since 1996. And that very same year, Resident Evil debuted and has since sold 107 million copies. You know what it is? Million? It's the boob factor. Both of those games yeah, had Jill characters. Got the boobs. Yeah. 
they had boob factor. Because I remember that with, with Tomb Raider, half the reason why they people got the first game was because she was a size double D and a size negative two. I don't even think it was double D. I don't even think there was a size. It was probably like an this. E, but like a negative <laughs> the, the anatomy two on her defied the law of physics. True I that. remember. So does Barbie, by the way. Um, if you ever met Barbie in real life, you would be disturbed. Or old school Barbie. They've changed her her I don't shape. Know. I feel like in LA there's still Barbies out here. Dude, like, they dude. there's a video where they actually make a woman <laughs> look like Barbie with her actual dimensions and it's it's a freak show. It's an actual hey, freak show. No, I knew this as far back as when my sister used to steal my G.I. Joes to have them make out with Barbie in the bathtub. And I'm like, it's literally it's th this would be like Brigitte Nielsen making out with Billy Barty. It, it, it just it doesn't make sense. Good one. Good one. The way that you're playing with this. And so anytime you talk about G.I. Joes making out with Barbie, it's time to end that segment. So we will thankfully transition to our mailbag. Say we got a great, great email today. Let's hear some music first. Uh, first off, congrats to Brian because he is now officially part of the Certified Fresh crew because he's been a fabulous guest here. And that's the name for our esteemed panel of members here joining us on the show. And then our fans across the world and parts of Mars, we call the Ketchup Crew. And today's member of the Ketchup Crew that we're hearing from is Annalise Smith. Annalise says, Hi, Mark and Jacqueline. You've reviewed several vampire movies, Vampire in Brooklyn, Blade, Underworld. And I was wondering if you'd consider reviewing 2008's classic, Twilight. I put the classic in there. She did not. This widely loved as well as widely hated movie is bound to spark an interesting discussion. P.S. Team Edward or Team Jacob. Best Annalise. And I'll open that up to Brian as well. Uh, do we have a team preference in the world of Twilight? Team Edward or Team Jacob? What says Brian Tong? I've seen, I think, at least the first three because my girlfriend forced me to. But I was actually, I'll be honest, I was curious. You know, as a, as a movie lover, you got to be curious. I'm going to go Team Edward. He's going Team Edward. Classic. He's going, going Team Vampire. Um, Jacqueline, do you agree with our newest member of the Fresh Crew? Uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> team, Edward. team Edward. I am Team Edward. I'm actually am Team Edward. Team Jacob is weird. Team Jacob is the guy that assumes that he's in the friend zone. Really, if she didn't want to f you, she didn't want to f you. Move on. There's a it lot of weirdness about that whole Team weird Jacob thing. But they're Jacob... both problematic boots down. Like, he, this is not a love story. It's a yeah, horror story. It's, look, <laughs> I've said this before, and I will reiterate my claim, but I'm happy to do an episode on Twilight if we want to. Um, I am neither Team Edward nor Team Jacob. I am on Team Bella's dad. I feel for that guy. I mean, when your daughter is choosing between a vampire and a werewolf, that's a failure as a parent, in my opinion. That uh, You can't just bring home a normal guy who's got a job. you got to bring home a vampire or an undead creature is who you're... Anyway... Brian, you've been amazing. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us here today. You guys today. are awesome. This um, has been fun. I have actually checked out your YouTube channel prior to this, prior to even knowing that you were going to be the guest, and you do fabulous work over really? there. Uh, what are you Thank working you. on right now? What do you want to get out um, as far as letting the kids know about the new things in your career? All the new things. So, you know, I do cover tech and geek culture, kind of a mix of both. At least in the geek culture movie world, I'm actually working, it'll probably drop in a few weeks, a really cool behind-the-scenes piece on Raya and The Last Dragon, how they made the facial animations and riggings, how they did it from kind of like the ground up. I kind of do some of these tech behind the scenes on these. So 
that's going to be coming up in a few weeks. And then if you're a tech lover, I mean, Apple just dropped a whole bunch of new goodies and toys. So I got some every, if you want to know about the air tags and everything about that, that's coming in a few days. And uh, what we got new iMacs, new iPad pros. So uh, just feel, you know, fortunate to be here. This was really fun. Thank you so much for having me, uh, man. This was a blast. So really appreciate it. Um, you, you seem like a guy in the know who not only enjoys the video game and movies in the world of Mortal Kombat. Do you have a some sort of streaming or movie recommendation that you can toss at us that would maybe give us more of those vibes? Ooh, well, I would say a, a movie that took me by surprise that I probably wouldn't have recommended, but I was so curious because of the director who will be directing the Eternals from Marvel, Chloe Zhao. Mm-hmm. I actually really love Nomadland, quite honestly. I thought it, it took me by surprise really enjoyed Nomadland. I think that, um, yeah, it's not an action movie, but I would say go watch that. And, uh, you know, whether you agree or disagree, I really enjoyed the Snyder cut of, uh, <laughs> of justice league from a comic book, uh, fan junkie standpoint. So I'd say those are my two right now. If we're talking about current movies ish to check out, but I'm actually really looking forward to the Eternals. I think that's going to be really interesting, specifically with how Chloe Zhao approaches movies. And the fact that now Marvel can say we have an Oscar award winning director. I mean, come on, that's kind of crazy. Like great foresight, but Nomadland kind of shows you how she thinks. And that's what I loved about watching that movie. Release the Zhao cut of Nomadland. Finally, <laughs> give the fans what they want. Um, it's It's been so great having you. And uh, it I, your thoughts on Mortal Kombat, both the video game and the movie. It, it, was, it was everything that Lucy, our producer, had hyped up about you. And I <laughs> hope everybody checks out all the cool stuff you're working on on your YouTube channel and elsewhere. We love our fans. And our fans have created this fiercely loyal army. Whether you want to go by the Ketchup Crew or not, we should sell merch we got to get ketchup we should actually sell ketchup bottles i'm talking to literally the dog right now we should set up ketchup bottles so lucy we need to we need to have our own line of like spicy ketchup that we can sell so you're officially a member of the ketchup crew if you want to email us you can hit us up anytime like what annalise did ask about twilight or any other movie you're curious about or give us some thoughts some criticism some questions rt is wrong at rotten tomatoes Dot com. That's RT is wrong at RottenTomatoes.com. Subscribe, rate, review, wherever you enjoy podcasts, do whatever that platform can urge you to do and get us up there in the charts. And Jacqueline, you're going to take a well-deserved nap later on today, I'm sure, but you are going to be back next week and we're going to be talking about a very special movie near and dear to my heart. Not necessarily because I love it, but because of when it was released in my life. We still gonna go talk about the Phantom Menace next week. Oh, oh my boy. It's gonna be exciting. We're talking about the Phantom Menace. That may not be the last Star Wars prequel we talk about. Brian, quickly before we say goodnight, rank your three Star Wars prequels for us. Oh goodness. Okay, prequels <laughs> then. Uh uh man, my brain is scrambled. Clearly the Revenge of the Sith, right? Is it Revenge or Return? My brain. My revenge. Brain is Sith Revenge, yes, revenge. Jedi Return. Yeah. Revenge, uh, this might be controversial. Not I, I only enjoyed Clone Wars because Obi-Wan and Jango Fett's fight was the bomb, yep. even though that movie was horrendous to get through. But that was actually a cool fight. So I'm going to go Revenge, Clone Wars, and then Phantom Menace, although most people would probably put Phantom Menace second. I'm going to mix it up and put Phantom Menace as 
third. All right. Zero, Episode zero. three, like last place. two, and one. Three, two, one. Let's count them down, yeah. baby. Attack of the Clones. I will say Attack of the Clones better than the Clone Wars, but it, that's a whole separate conversation. That is Brian <laughs> Tong. That is Jacqueline Coley. Thank you to our entire crew of hardworking folks here at Rotten Tomatoes. Producer Lucy, Brian Perez, Christian Rubel-Kaba, Tim Ryan, and I am merely Mark Ellis. I didn't have to do any red carpet stuff. I didn't have to do any Oscars coverage over the weekend because I was writing stuff. I was actually writing jokes, and I'm doing stand-up. Coming back this summer, kicking off with La Jolla, the Comedy Store, May 7th through the 9th. You can get tickets at thecomedystore.com. Until next week, everybody go crank out the prequels now, and we're going to be talking about them starting with The Phantom Menace. Have a great day, everyone. Team Bella's dad. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on Auto Trader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on Auto Trader. Just you wait. Auto Trader.